Good morning. It's Thursday, the 13th of July, and I'm Govind Raj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and most rocking city in the world. Our top reports and themes for the day, and it's a bit of a packed day and lots of analysis this time. TCS kicks off the big results announcement season by beating estimates for profits. New GST or goods and service tax rates. Where are we in our indirect tax journey? Inflation turns up after a two-year low driven by food prices. Pulses are a particular concern. And we are now taxing casinos gambling at 28%. What does that mean for now and for the future? This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. TCS brings in good results. Tata Consultancy Services' first quarter profit beat analysts' estimate, though revenue growth at the IT major was slower in what normally is a stronger quarter for India's IT services industry. TCS's revenue rose marginally over the previous three months to 59,381 crore in the quarter ended June, according to an exchange filing on Wednesday. Net profit was down 2.8% at 11,074 crore. Bloomberg estimates put them at 10,982 crore and hence the beating of estimates. Its operating profit margin increased marginally to 23.2% from 23.1% a year ago. Importantly, TCS declared an interim dividend of 9 rupees per share. In dollar terms, revenue at TCS increased 7% year-on-year to around $7.2 billion in the April to June quarter again. Now, TCS's total headcount is 615,318 or just over 600,000 employees with an attrition rate of around 18%. Now, this attrition rate is quite amazing. It's almost, as I could work out, and I'm sure you can too, 110,000 people who have left the organization to be obviously replaced by as much or more, which is the case right now. Other IT companies too have similar attrition levels, but these absolute numbers here are obviously quite staggering. Just the attrition rate of TCS, it struck me, is more than most large organizations in India, or for that matter, anywhere in the world. Back to the results, there are of course headwinds with a slowdown in North America and the Eurozone. The US is also facing some strain in its banking system, a major client for IT services companies. Earlier in a surprise move in March, TCS's then CEO Rajesh Gopinathan said he would step down and leave the company in September. K. Krithivasan, who previously led its banking and financial services businesses, took over at the start of June. Analyzing TCS standalone can be tough, except for really focused analysts. So I thought I could use this opportunity to give you some backdrop and size in a global context and in USD terms for the entire IT industry. So India's technology industry revenue, including hardware, is about $245 billion, which grew 8% or a little over 8% last year. This was an addition of about $19 billion over the previous year. Exports at around $194 billion are also expected to grow around 11%. While India's domestic technology sector is expected to touch around $51 billion, growing at about 5% annually, in rupee terms, domestic tech revenues is also growing around 13% year-on-year on on the back of continued investments by enterprise and the government. The industry continues to be a net hirer, adding nearly 300,000 employees, taking the total employee base to about 5.4 million people. That's roughly a 6% growth. All these figures I just narrated to you are from industry body NASCOM. 
Inflation is up. Inflation numbers are in and India's retail inflation was up in June after having eased to a 25-month low last month. This time, the rise is led by food prices. The Consumer Price Index-based inflation or CPI stood at 4.81% in June compared to 4.3% in May according to data from the Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementation released on Wednesday. Now, one factor driving food inflation is pulses, which is now at 10.5%, just below cereals at 12.7%. Now, Masoor Dal, Urad Dal and Thur Dal, also known as pulses and consumed in most Indian households, is a specific area for concern. In the last five months, the inflation rate for pulses has nearly doubled. Pulses are also an important source of protein for most of India. A periodic up and down in pulses inflation is not new, but rising inflation in pulses when other staples such as rice and wheat are also seeing inflation rates of 10% and 12% or thereabouts is worrying, says a rating agency Crystal report. I reached out to Crystal Chief Economist DK Joshi to understand why we should be thinking about pulses prices also in the context of errant and high-intensity monsoons that's impacting cropping across India and India in general. Well, I think as we know, uh, pulses is a very important source of protein for vegetarians. It has a pretty high weight in consumer price index, 6%. And I think inflation in cereals and vegetables is already high. So it comes at a time when I think there is already pressure on, on food inflation building up, so to say. Uh, and the worry is essentially because the pulses suffered a hit last year also because of bad weather. And it is largely rain-fed, uh, the Kharif pulses. So it depends on precipitation quite a lot. Sowing is already low this year, which can be made up going ahead if the weather stabilizes. But I should say that I think these conditions make it a little worrisome from the food perspective overall. I mean, because the carbohydrates, which is rice and wheat, already are witnessing double-digit inflation. And the protein, which is pulses, is also seeing a gradual pickup in inflation. So maybe I could ask you, DK, to take us back to inflation numbers as a whole, because overall numbers, obviously, we've been seeing and getting a feeling that inflation is either under control or headed down. Uh, whereas what you're pointing out clearly is that food inflation is going in a different direction, driven by factors like this. Well, I think what's happening is that overall food inflation is down because it has a number of items in it. But where the worry on the food front is on the milk, where I think there are supply issues and milk inflation is not expected to come down this year. And some of the stuff that you buy on a regular basis, which is vegetables and cereals, etc., they are already seeing double-digit inflation. This cereal inflation has been high for quite some time. It's not that the entire food basket is witnessing a high inflation. Edible oils, the prices are much lower than last year. But there are parts of food where I think the pressure is building and it is something that needs to be monitored this year, uh, particularly. As I said, already I think we are seeing high inflation in carbohydrate category. And what could be the impact of this going forward, apart from the fact that if prices are high, then that creates problems from the consumer side? From the monetary policy side, although the central bank would look through any inflation which is coming from food and is transitory in nature, but if it sustains, I think then they have to take cognizance of the developments. And the central bank has also been pointing out about risks from El Nino, etc. So if inflation again goes beyond uh, comfort zone, then I think that can have implications for monetary policy. 
which means it could delay rate cuts. But that is a speculative question right now because the, the monsoons haven't played out completely and the months of July and August are very critical. So it needs very close monitoring, particularly because there is a, a risk of El Nino, which meteorologists have been pointing out for quite some time. A speculative question once again. So we've seen very high-intensity rains. We've also seen a delayed monsoon being offset by these high-intensity rains, and so much so that we've actually gone into surplus at the aggregate level. So now what does this mean at this point of time, or should we not be drawing too many conclusions? It's a cause of worry because in many of the rain-fed uh, areas, the rains have been very scanty. Even in Maharashtra, I think sitting in Bombay, you may not realize it, but Maratwara and other parts, I think overall have got very little rain. So it's very important that in this Kharif season, the regions which are rain-fed, I think they get ample rain. So it is very uneven distribution, which is very worrying. I mean, it's not the overall precipitation that matters. It's equally important that it is well distributed over time and over geographies. And right now, the distribution is quite skewed. So it's a cause of worry and it's a, something that needs to be monitored. Right. DK, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. On the other hand, falling edible oil prices have helped push down inflation at minus 18%. Vegetables too, interestingly, were at minus 8 but now are at just minus 0.1%. High tomato prices, which I'm sure all of you are following, are unlikely to help when new numbers emerge next month. Where are we in our indirect tax journey? India's Goods and Service Tax, a GST council which governs the setting of rates for different products and services, said day before that bets placed on online gaming and casinos will now face a 28% tax. It also announced a reduction on tax on food and beverages at multiplexes and tweaked the definition of utility vehicles, again from a taxation point of view. Food and beverages, for example, sold in restaurants will now be liable to 5% and they will be treated as a restaurant service. Now, you can, of course, think back and ask, why wasn't this done in the first place? Anyway, you can also get a sense on which industry lobby won or lost in this round or the crumbs they've been happy to get and where. The gambling industry is obviously not happy and that's a separate issue which we will visit shortly. But to get a sense on where we are on these specific announcements as well as in the overall journey of GST taxes which started on the 1st of July 2017, what's become simpler and what not, I'm joined by Dinesh Kanabar, leading tax expert and CEO of Dhruva Advisors. So in the past, Bhuvan uh, always had tax on earnings from gambling, whether it is direct tax or indirect tax. So earnings from gamblings have uh, been separately. The losses can't be set off. You are taxed at the 30% flat rate, etc., etc., etc. This claiming of indirect tax at the 28% effectively means that what was a rate of almost just about under 2% has become 28%. And that's a huge uh, jump. Now, I can see the finance minister's approach to say that you are to going haywire, etc. But the question which comes up often is that many of these platforms have got funding from overseas whenever else. They went on a basis of a particular business model. And their business model today has become irrelevant sort of because of this 28 percent Because you can't have a situation where you took 100, straight away 28 goes up, therefore what you are actually putting on the table is only 72, etc., etc. And therefore what happens with all of that? 
So I think it is a change and a drastic change midway through a course, which is creating a problem. And then the question which arises is that do we have a stable tax policy? Take for example, uh, gaming applications like Dream11 have been around for a decade. It's not something which is new. There are others who have been around for such a long time. Now suddenly you wake up and I'm not saying you can't make changes, but you make such a large change. What does that mean for the industry? Have you factored? Apart from everything else that you are talking about, the impact on the youth, so what is the impact on the industry, etc. And probably there's a need for a bit of a rethink on this whole thing and how one could have a calibrated approach. Right. Okay, so that's to do with this particular announcement. So now let me get your sense on the journey overall. So GST now was introduced on 1st July 2017. So we are uh, on a six-year mark now. Looking back and looking at where we are and maybe looking a little ahead. Your thoughts? So, I would break up my response to you to two, three parts. First of all, it's truly been one of the best revolutionary changes in tax laws that has been brought about. Helped in many, many ways. Removing all those state-level taxes, all of that has been really a very, very welcome thing. It has smoothened quite a bit of things that need to happen and very commendable from that perspective. Where we are struggling at this point of time is a lot of litigation. So we have authority for advance ruling to whom you go for a ruling. And more often than not, each state comes up with a separate set of ruling, appellate advance ruling benches. But we have not had anything which gives you a comfort to say, this is where a particular item should be categorized, not categorized, etc. So daily, when we have dozens and dozens of cases coming, and therefore that certainty which one would expect from a law like GST has not happened at all. And I think that's one major area of concern, litigation and litigation devolution. Of course, there is this whole thing on the number of slabs, 5%, 12%, 88%, 28%. There's also been this very interesting issue of syntax and what comes and what does not come on syntax. And I was reading um, an article earlier today on fruit drinks which are fizzy. So, on the one hand, you have, for example, fruit drinks on which fruit juice is on which the tax is 12%. And then if you have soda water, then it is 18%. But if you mix the two, that is if you put fizz into the fruit juice, and I don't know what makes it silly, it goes to 40%. So, there is some degree of rationalization which is required to happen out here. Six years has been otherwise a very great journey. It has achieved many of the purposes. But if we don't have certainty down the line, if we don't have rationalization of the rates which one is expecting, then those challenges continue to remain. Right, uh, Mr. Kanabar, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Now, let's get a slightly different perspective on this 28% tax on gaming companies. Just to refresh your mind, game set and no chance, the 28% tax would be levied on the full face value of bets placed on online sites. This tax would be imposed without making any differentiation based on whether the games required skill or were based on chance. Union Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman said the decision to levy maximum tax on online gaming and casinos was not intended to kill the industry, but considering the moral question that it cannot be taxed at par with essential commodities. The All India Gaming Federation, which represents companies like Nazara, Gamescraft, Zupi and Winzo, said the decision by the council is unconstitutional irrational and egregious. Website Medianama, which analyzes technology policy in India, quoted AIGF CEO Roland Landers saying, 
This will wipe out the entire Indian gaming industry and lead to lakhs of job losses. And the only people benefiting from this will be anti-national illegal offshore platforms. Now, gambling or some version of it, unfortunately, is a public policy issue as much as an economic issue. And easy answers are not easy to be found. I reached out to Nikhil Pawa, who's the founder and editor of Media Nama, and who's been following this matter for his take. And I began by asking him what this move to impose a 28% tax meant. So for consumers, it's going to become a lot more expensive to participate in the so-called online real money gaming platforms. For every 100 rupees that they want to, let's say, put on the table if they're playing, let's say, a card game or if there's any kind of stakes-related games, they will have to pay 28% extra on that entire value. The earlier proposition that was being considered and what the real money gaming industry was really pushing for was that the GST has to be on other services component or on the winnings that happen from this money, not treat it like a full value. And so this is a huge blow for them because it becomes more expensive. The cost of playing, let's say, a Ludo or a Teen Bhatti or a Rami or even, let's say, fantasy gaming like Dream 11 increases substantially. And then there would be a tax that people would pay finally on the winnings itself? There would be a tax. I believe there is a TDS as well that is deducted. So essentially, when you zoom out and look at it, you know, many of these sites advertise someone won like 10 lakhs, 20 lakhs. So they run these ads which they're saying that there's a disproportionate amount of return because they're saying the games are skilled. So you make money from playing these so-called games. So that disproportionate return is now out the window. So the incentive for someone to participate in this for making money goes down substantially. Right. And you mentioned the game of skill or chance. Now, that was a distinction that the players were trying to draw for the purposes of taxation, for the purposes of regulation. What is the distinction here and why is that important? So gambling by itself is a state subject in India and states regulate them differently. Like in Sikkim, it's legal. In Nagaland, I think it's legal. Goa has casinos. So different states are allowed to take a call whether they want to allow gambling in their state or not. And the real money gaming industry has actually coined that phrase real money gaming in order to distinguish themselves from gambling. There is one nuance here that there are games of skill. So for example, Rummy is being recognized as a game of skill by a court. And then there are games of chance, which is that you don't know if you're going to win or not because you can't control the outcome. I don't know if you remember, Govind, that back in the day, I think in 2010 or 11 or somewhere around that time when the IPL was in its initial phases, there was a game called Six Up in which you had to guess the score that would be made or what would happen on the next ball. And the sports minister then had come out and said that this is gambling and this should be banned and six up had to wind up but that was really a game of chance over there so it's up to courts to interpret what it is the central government is not saying whether something is a game of skill or a game of chance and i think that's going to go into litigation over a period of time but at this point everything is 28 percent. i mean i think from a taxation point of view everything that's real money gaming that involves real money going in is 28 percent I'm not sure, and this is something which I have to clarify, but whether this applies to, let's say, actual games like entertainment games like Clash of Clans or Polytopia or the, you know, some of these games where you might, let's say, buy a particular tribe or a particular character and play with it. I don't know whether the GST applies to those as well. The real money gaming industries try to, like I said, create a definition for themselves. Initially, I think there was a move to try and treat themselves as esports 
so that they would be regulated by the sports ministry. There's been hectic lobbying that's been happening over the last two years. And they've got some regulatory sort of leeway from the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology that's passed rules that recognize them as real money gaming and put down some stringent norms that are actually enabling norms. But at the same time, you know, the IT Act doesn't allow the ministry to do this, to be honest. But no one's going to go to court to challenge that situation. And it's all lobbying that's basically led to this outcome, to be honest. I think the idea of fantasy sports is debatable because you're picking a team, you're trying to understand which player, etc. And there is a certain amount of skill that may be involved in that. Um, but in card games in particular, offline gaming is different from online gaming. Who knows what the algorithm behind giving you the cards that you've been dealt is about, right? So there are complexities in the online version. And, you know, as they say, the house always wins. And therefore, I think there needs to be a more nuanced look at these things. Unfortunately, the central government's not decided what it's regulating. It just created this regulation out of nowhere saying that this is how real money gaming companies will have to behave. Tamil Nadu passed a law banning money-based gamings because there have been actual suicides in that state. And some of them have been related to games which I think are no longer available as well. But it is a sort of a wild, wild west. There are payday-known companies that have made money from giving loans to people so that they could use them. In, and, you know, the people have lost a lot of money in these uh, so-called games. So in that environment, I think this restriction is very important. Uh, and last question, Nikhil. So I'm guessing you seem to be leaning on the side that we do need to constrain or restrain this industry from being or continuing to be a wild west. I think so. And it's coming from the fact that many of these entities have been advertising, you know, think that a play and win a car, play and win this. And, you know, someone got X percent of returns. And with online advertising, most of that advertising is blind. You don't know how they're capturing their users and what incentives they're throwing at users. It's the same thing that we saw for the last couple of years in the crypto industry before TDS came in. And, you know, people were looking to make a quick buck and losing money in the process. There is unscrupulous activity that has happened in terms of acquiring customers and trading incentives for them to participate in this. And look, these are all zero-sum games, right? Someone wins and somebody loses and the house takes its cut in the process. And in that sense, there is no real economic productivity, production going on. I think it's important for the heat to go down in this, right? And a pressure valve needed to be opened and with this high degree of taxation, that's what the finance ministry has done. In my mind, they've been far more responsible in dealing with this segment than the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology. Finman did this with crypto as well. The TDS actually led to a vast reduction in the number of transactions, a vast reduction in speculation in the space. And in that sense, in gaming, there is a great deal of speculation also taking place in the hope that someone would make a lot of money. Addressing that speculation is important. Nikhil, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Before I go, some aviation news. The promoter of SpiceJet, Ajay Singh, has said that he will invest around 500 crores into the company, a move that should come as good news for many in the airline industry who are wondering whether SpiceJet 2 would face problems similar to GoFirst. The infusion will be done through subscription to equity shares or convertible securities on a preferential basis, the company said in a filing following a board meeting. 
SpiceJet also said that the fundraising will be considered as equity contribution by the promoters under the emergency credit line guarantee, which will provide additional credit facilities of around 206 crore rupees to the company. Well, that's it from me then. I hope you have a great day and look forward to hearing from you as always on govindraj at thecore.in or LinkedIn or Twitter. Before I sign off, here's a message from Sohil Gilani in Bangkok, who is someone I also know. He says that he likes the content and the topics and also appreciates the fact that I'm not shouting at anyone. He says that he gave up listening to Indian news till this show came along. Well, thank you, Sohil, for your kind and encouraging words from me and my colleagues who produce this show and my colleagues at thecore.in. Thanks again for listening. See you tomorrow, same time. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>